Hello, everyone, and welcome to You Are Beautiful. And if you didn't hear it today already, let me say it to you right now. You are, wait for it, beautiful. That's right. My name is Lawrence Zarian, but since we are going to be instant fast friends, you can call me LZ. On this podcast, some of my uh, closest friends from television, film, movies, influencers, designers, they're going to be here with me, with us, talking about how they feel, what makes them feel beautiful, and when they look in the mirror, what do they see? It's going to be a fun ride. Trust us, trust me, and let's have some fun. Hey, and by the way, let me say it again. You are beautiful. And one more thing. You are beautiful is brought to you by the vibrant doc, Dr. Stacy J. Stevenson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Are Beautiful with Lauren Jerry. And, and as you guys know, I'm in my second season and I love what I do so much. And I always get excited because I get to interview some of the best people in the entertainment business. And this morning, another sort of feeling came over me. I got nervous. I got excited. I got giddy. And I've been in the fashion business for a long time, and I usually know exactly what I'm going to wear. But this morning, I had no idea what I was going to throw on from the waist up. Because how does one dress for the queen of Broadway? (laughs) Is that my intro? That is your (laughs) intro. I am so happy to meet you. How does one dress when I get interviewed? I'm like, I'm not sure I like the sweater. Thank you for that introduction. So what are we wearing? We are wearing... I'm wearing something from Mr. Turks. Let me just tell you something. When I went to bed last night and I was thinking, okay, what does gay heaven look like? What colors do I want to wear? What do I want to be? And I'm like, I'm going to go with the teal because I love the color. Yay. Oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet of you. And I will be there to welcome you. I promise. (laughs) You know, I've been in this business for a long time and so many of my friends, I lived in LA and I lived in New York and New York to me is what changed my life. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Glendale, California. And then I moved to New York when I was 22 to be on a soap opera and that didn't happen. And then I became a waiter. And, you know, to me, life gives you this foundation and this grit and all of my friends are on Broadway. So the fact that I haven't met you before and the fact that we're meeting you now is a true thrill. That's strange that we haven't met. So you didn't do the soap opera? I'm interviewing you now. Didn't do the soap opera, became a waiter, waited tables at a restaurant called Canistel's 19th Street, Park Avenue New South with Sandy Bullock, Jennifer Coolidge, planted my seeds as a waiter. Then I worked at Planet Hollywood. And you know, to me, New York gives you the foundation of who you are, but you were also born in Manhattan. Yeah, born in Manhattan, but really grew up in Long Island for the most part. Like my parents are from the Bronx. Then we lived in Queens when we were tiny, tiny, but mostly grew up in Long Island. And then really, I think I found myself when I went to NYU and yeah, lived in Manhattan and, you know, just figured out what I wanted, how I wanted to be seen in the world. And, you know, you can just really be yourself. And growing up Long Island was so homogenized and everybody wants to be the same, you know, and when you got to Manhattan, it was how different could you be? And people would celebrate you for that. You know, the only small regret I had going to NYU for the full four years was just the um, pace and the rush of New York City when you want to be a performer it makes it harder. You become less patient with just being in school and you want yeah. to feel like everything's happening around you. You want to get going. And I would have maybe preferred to sort of go somewhere more, you know, a conservatory or something 
or I could just focus on training or life in college or whatever it is, take other classes and then get to NYU and the pace of New York City. I can relate to that, but I went the other way. I went to Glendale High, Glendale College. And then instead of pursuing college, I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And from morning till night, it was dance, it was sing, it was act. And their one rule is you could not do any sort of outside shows at all. And on the sly, I was doing, well, The Music Man here at the Glendale Center Theater, Theater in the Round. I did the best shapoopy ever, number one. Number two, <laughs> we weren't allowed to do outside productions. So I was doing that. And somebody came and saw our production and there was a big performance. <gasps> it tattled him. There's this big, big charity event, big charity here in Los Angeles called the Thalian's Ball. They own the West Wing of the Cedar Sinai Hospital, and they do a tribute every year. Uh -huh. So at the Academy, we're not allowed to do outside performances, but I was asked to be a part of a performance for the Thalians, and it was a tribute to Robert Preston. And in that tribute, Lucille Ball <gasps> recreated Mame. So instead of staying strictly to the rules of the Academy, I did Mame with Lucio Ball. Get out of here. Doesn't have a happy ending because I didn't get invited back the second year because they said I basically broke protocol. But how many people get to have a picture with Lucio Ball doing Mame? No, exactly. I probably would have done the same thing. You know, I had aspirations of being on Broadway when I was really little. But then when I got to be about 15, 16 years old, I started to sing at weddings and bar mitzvahs. And I did that for the next eight years on and off through college even to pay the rent. And I started to have to listen to all kinds of music so that I could get hired more. The more you bigger your repertoire, the more genres of music you sang, the better it was. And so I started listening to lots of jazz, like Billie Holiday and Ella. And, and then I would have to acquaint myself with all the pop tunes at the time, which dating myself is Whitney and Madonna and Taylor Dane. And, Excellent. And then I had to listen to Motown and R&B. And I started listening to Aretha and Shaka and, you know, rock stuff. And, and so I started to want to write my own music and wanted to be more of a recording artist. So when I was in those years that you're talking about in New York, I was in school, I was going to Tisch, but I was always trying to have my own rock band and get a record deal. So it was just like, get me out of school. I want to go. I want to do this thing. And that's just where I feel a little, I regret it a little bit that I never was sort of present in what I was doing. I was trying to do the next, but what it should have been. I love that. It's never the loss. It's always the lesson. Here's the question that I wanted to ask you. You know, I always think that there's that moment when you're like, oh, that's what ticked it off. That's what started it. When was that moment where music and song was something you're like, I resonate with that as a kid? Well, very, very little. I mean, I have really vivid memories of singing with my grandfather in my house and popping up from behind the couch and telling stories and singing and wanting to be a performer. You know, there was definitely that. There was definitely the time where I was up in the Catskills with my family in a talent show, very like Dirty Dancing-esque kind of Catskills resort. And I sang the way we were and everybody's heads popped up and I thought, this is it, you know? How old were you? Like six or seven or eight, I don't know, a couple of different moments in there. So I felt it really little like that. But then those moments where I just felt kind of transported by the idea of just singing a song, standing at the piano with a, an amazing musician and kind of finding myself in a great song like a Billie Holiday, like a standard, you know, there was a lot of that during the weddings when no one was even listening, but it was the musicianship, mm -hmm. sort of finding myself as a, an interpreter, as a vocalist. What is my version of this song? And I think 
So those jazz standards are really great lessons for that because they always start out and they stick really strictly to the melody. And then when they come back in, they divert and they, they do their own versions and find where they want to go in their scales. And I would really emulate that and listen and try to copy what she did and then figure out what my own you know, creation was from that. And that's just those times I remember with those certain keyboard players that were so good and kind of finding my way through the chords and, and what it was. Oh, that was Billy Hall, me trying to be Billy Holiday, but oh, that's, that's me. That's my own style, you know? And so that was another version of that. And the fact that you had the wherewithal to be aware of the fact so young, influenced by Billie Holiday, influenced by this, influenced by that, that you were like a sponge and took everything that you learned and recreated your own sound in your own tone. Yeah, it happens, you know, by osmosis. Let me just tell you something. It doesn't <laughs> because I used to love to sing, used to love to sing. And then somewhere along the way, somebody said to me, no, don't sing. And Adina, it was a moment. <laughs> That's horrible. Who was that, a parent? Well, you know what? I'll say this. My parents would be so proud of me now. Unfortunately, they both passed, but they got to see my mother saw the beginning of my success. My dad saw a lot of my success. I've been able to work on some really, really big shows for long windows of time. So my dad got to see it, but my parents didn't know how to do it differently. My parents didn't know how to celebrate the difference. I remember year, I, I was, I think I was eight or nine. I was eight or nine and everybody was out of the house and I loved to perform. And I said to my dad, dad, I'm going to show you something. And he went, okay. So I took him into the big dining room. And for some reason we had these awful big sway back chairs and there were these elaborate chairs where I put my dad in the chair. I sat down and I went and I put on a song and I said to my dad, okay, I'm going to show you something. And I started to dance. And I was doing jumps. I was doing leaps. I'm eight. I'm doing jumps. I'm doing leaps. And I saw my dad's mouth hit the floor. And I thought, oh, he just doesn't get it. I need to go bigger. So I started doing leaps and jumps. And he didn't know how to encourage it. He didn't know how to celebrate it. He didn't have the tools to say, sweetheart, that's amazing. Yeah. And sort of like that moment singing, somebody said no. So the fact that you, were encouraged, I think is the key. And that it seems like you had a household that embraced and celebrated it. And I think that's just so important to let kids know you're good and look at how far you can go. Exactly. And also just to do what you love. That was the other thing. Just if you love to do it, do it. We support you, you know, which is what I hope I'm imparting to my son as well, who's actually been really pushing away the arts and the singing and the dancing as, as hard as he can to sort of, really? you know, carve out his own lane. And he's all about his sports and his basketball right now. But, you know, I barely get to hear him sing. And maybe if he's in a really great mood, he'll dance a little bit for us. But like, he's keeping it to himself. And so right now, it's just whatever makes him happy, whatever he wants to do. You know, I think that he's obviously got a really good voice, but he won't let me hear it. I just want to harmonize. He hasn't sung for you yet? Not really. When he was little, he did, but like really little. And he could always carry a tune. But now he's it's become this control thing where he just, it's like, don't ask me, mom, you know? So I think maybe in high school when, when they're doing West Side Story and there's a girl he wants to, you know, impress, all of a sudden it'll be like, I can play Tony. And he comes out and he's singing, you know, whatever. And maybe that'll be the day. Well, I'll tell you this. I was told, no, my dad didn't embrace it. My mom didn't know what to do with it. And I did 
theater. I did musical theater. I did the Glendale Center Theater, My Fair Lady, Music Man, A Christmas Carol. At the Showboat Dinner Theater in the Valley, I was Tony in West Side Story. I did Anything Goes. Could I sing? You'll find out in a little bit. But uh, <laughs> I will, yay. Oh, let me just tell you something. Don't ever for a second think that we're not going to do a little ditty, but we'll get to that. <laughs> the whole concept of this podcast was stemmed from the pandemic because the world shut down. We all shut down to see the lights on Broadway dimmed, to see all my friends that were out mm -hmm. of work, to see the world just stop. I'm not the same person. I've completely changed. What I used to think was important is no longer important. What I used to see through those eyes is completely changed. And what I want to do and what I'm doing is this exploration. You are beautiful with Lawrence Arian. So with your history, with where you're at right now, when you look in the mirror, what do you see that's beautiful? Oh, no. <sighs> Depends on the day. Sometimes it's hard to see anything that's beautiful. I have those days, especially as I'm getting older. I've become very vain. And some days I look in the mirror and I think, it's very hard for me to answer that. Isn't that sad? No, because I'll tell you why. Because sometimes I can't even look in the mirror. And it depends on the day. Oh, babe. And what's sad about it, and I will try to really answer the question, is that I think that I've been given a lot of music and characters that really speak to this and ask, especially young audiences, to really believe in themselves and empower themselves and embrace these beautiful things in themselves. And so it's kind of why we haven't talked about the album yet, but why so many of the themes in the album are about really stepping into your spotlight. For me, it can be literal, but it's also metaphoric for all of us. And the reason it's called drama queen is because I'm trying to reclaim that word because I feel like what's wrong with, you know, feeling all of these extreme feelings, um, being passionate and fiery and loving and sensitive and sexy. And, you know, when I look in the mirror, I can, on a different day, I see all of those things. Sometimes it's just harder to see them than others. First of all, I want to commend you and just say thank you for being so vulnerable and so honest. I mean, to me, at this stage in my life, you either see me and like me or you don't. And if you don't relate to it, can't vibe with it, there's somebody else in the other room. There's, you know, so I really, really appreciate your transparency by just being so honest with that, number one. Aww. Number two, I can relate to that. And your album, Drama Queen, is being released on August 18th. I love the title, Drama Queen. And to me, title of a book is so important. Title of an album. So I found this fascinating. Your first album, Still, I Can't Be Still. <laughs> yeah. Why that name for that album? I mean, it's pathetic because it doesn't feel like it's really, I have evolved very much when you put it that way. I think I've had anxiety, you know, most of my life and, and it's manifested itself in different ways. But I think there's just a sense of me that doesn't feel like she can never be really happy. I always make my mom feel bad when I talk about the divorce, but I think there's something about your parents' divorce, especially if you think that everything's pretty good between your parents and they, they actually don't argue in front of you. And my parents had this, this sort of fairy tale thing about them and the way everyone else perceived them that I think it was such a shock that it's like nothing ever is what it seems. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something about that. Like when's the other shoe going to drop, you know, always. And I feel like I do that with my son. I'm projecting that as a mom. I'm trying so hard not to, but he's picking up on it. Like I'm always just, I don't want him to feel anything bad, you know, any pain. There's this funny example when he says, I'll get a new pair of sneakers. You know, he has this, he loves great basketball sneakers. And so 
doesn't really care about anything else as far as toys or games or it's just he's gloves collecting sneakers and they'll come in the mail and i'll say is that the right size have we grown out of the size yet are you sure it's the right size and he's like mom you always ruin you ruin the unveiling the unboxing of the sneakers it's gonna be fine why do you always have to ruin it and it's something so small but it's it's that it's just just in case we ordered the wrong one we can get another size it's like oh so annoying it's i'm exhausted <laughs> no, but it's also honest. And I got to be honest with you. I struggle with anxiety, something I've never struggled with before. I had a huge fall during the pandemic. I ruptured my Achilles tendon. I did it right when the oh. pandemic happened. Couldn't go to the hospital. I have an identical twin brother. He couldn't come take care. Like I have a layer of anxiety and there's another layer. I had COVID and I'm still struggling with post-COVID symptoms. Oh, no. I have never been afraid in my life. And this anxiety takes over me I had a session right before we had a recording today, because if I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to the wrong person. Everything I'm feeling is just my perception. So the fact that you said, I have anxiety, I love the fact that you're talking about it. I love the fact that you're being honest. And I love the fact that you're like, you know what? Still, I can't be still. doesn't show the evolution. No, but the evolution for me, because you're teaching me is, yes, that's how you felt there. and then. If then, you're welcome. That's how you felt in that moment, but you can still have that feeling now. Yes, you can. And you can rise above it as well. And I think maybe back then it was cooler, it felt more grungy to stay in those feelings. And now, of course, it's about finding ways to really emerge and climb out of that quicker and enjoy my life and allow myself to be happy, you know. But yeah, anxiety is just, ugh. and maybe it's, you know, the older you get, because I always talk to people, I feel like when I was a kid, I was so much more fearless. I don't know if you feel that way, but you know, I just like, let me at them. There's something I believed in myself in a certain way. And I just knew that I had something to share and that at some point it was going to happen for me. And then, you know, people always assume because, you know, we're performers and we're brave and we get out there and we have, you know, these larger than life personalities at times that we're not going to be nervous anymore. I'm going to stop you because let me just tell you this. I'm very proud to be sober. And to me, I've changed my life with 18 years of sobriety under my belt. And what I've learned through a 12-step program is if one other person is sharing that same story, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I was having anxiety this morning, I literally was panicking a little bit. I was nervous for this, which is why I couldn't decide what to wear. For me? Oh my God. Oh, oh. yeah. Yeah. Talent is such a turn on for me. Because because somebody said to me, I couldn't sing and I can sing. Mm -hmm. And somebody said, yeah, you're all right, dancer. Everything in my core was to be on Broadway. It resonates with me. Mm -hmm. To know that I have this moment with you, A, as a fan and somebody that respects your talent is one level. The fact that we're sharing the same story is such a deeper level because it goes back to why I'm doing this podcast. What is different in our lives? And I just want to thread something. Here's what's fascinating. I feel still, I can't be still here. Yeah. Here I stand as a drama queen. That evolution of those titles literally struck me to the core. I love you for that. I didn't put that together like that. Oh, thank you. Still, I can't be still here. I stand drama queen. And drama queen's having a little bit more fun. That's the thing. I was tired of trying to 
adhere to all of these formulas and these sort of rules that you're supposed to adhere to in the in the music business really and because there's some sort of stigma with people from Broadway crossing over and doing pop music I've always tried saying well how can I do it how can I get them to hear it and so I would always overthink how can I do this what kind of music could I do that people would hear it and they'd find it was sort of like an organic transition or they'd really believe me or maybe I shouldn't sing as big and as loud if you will it's too much vibrato maybe I should be vibier and cooler and all these different things and I work with certain songwriters and producers and try to come up with these different sounds and you know being versatile can sometimes be your curse because people don't know what to do with you, you know? So if you can really do all these kind of different genres, which I think is a talent, I used to sort of be embarrassed by that. Hmm. And so with this album during COVID myself, during quarantine, I just started thinking, what kind of music do I want to do? I just have fun. You know, I was doing promotion in London a couple of years ago. And whenever I'm in London, I like to show up at a GAY circuit club heaven there and at like one in the morning and it's packed full of the most amazing people half shirtless sweaty crying singing with me reminiscing with me and dancing and up against the stage to the point that I could stage dive if I wanted to which is something that I don't get to do when I sing at you know Carnegie Hall yeah yeah no disrespect to Carnegie. But wouldn't that be the best visual? You take your Could gown, you, you hoist it up. Underneath, you've got biker boots. And you're like, listen, people, I'm coming. Except the problem is that most people are very young girls in the front row that couldn't carry me. And then I'd have to call all of my muscular gay friends down to like catch me. So that's what happens in London is I don't stage dive, but I have the greatest time and there's this electric energy and I'm just so energized by it that I thought I just want to do music that I could bring back into these venues and have fun. And so that's why the album is dance and disco and the idea of having great grooves that really support a big voice though. So I didn't want to make myself smaller in any way. And I feel like disco music has always celebrated big female vocals, you know, big melodies. And that's why I kind of went in this direction. And and then when it felt like what I was singing about would resonate with my friends in the LGBTQ plus community as well, it really started to come together and make sense. And I started writing and singing for all of us. So it's been great that it fell in line with pride and I've done all these festivals. It's just, it's been the best. Wait a second. I think you know a lot of gay men. Yeah. I've got this feeling. (laughs) Number one, you're going to help me find my future husband. I'm telling you this right now because I'm single. Okay. You okay. know gay people. Yes. You know handsome, successful. You I know do. What? Let me say this. My top five, you need to be kind. You need to listen. Mm-hmm. You need to communicate. You need to have passion for what you do. Mm-hmm. And you need to know what the word love feels like. So those are my top five requirements. So I'll email you those. You need to know what the word love feels like. That's what you said? Yeah. For you because everybody has their own interpretation of what that word feels like. Ah. Uh. So here's my question, because I am a really big fan. So I'm going to ask you to- Wait, hold on. I'm texting my friend right now, who I think you'd be, is really hot. Oh, I'm, like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I love uh, Okay, I'll hold. Everybody enjoy the silence. <laughs> so for somebody like me that always has had this passion to be on Broadway, oh, I mean, literally, it resonates with my soul. And one of these days, I will play Billy Flynn. I know that. Yeah. There's nothing that's going to stop me from doing that. Indulge me. What was it like to play Maureen Johnson 
in 96 and be a part of Rent? What was that like? Well, that was my break. That was my very first professional job. Yeah. So at first, it was just like, oh, I got this off-Broadway show and some little theater downtown and it's February and there's no weddings or bar mitzvahs then because it snows on these coats. <laughs> and so I guess it'll help me not be broke. And, and then I showed up and I remember Anthony Rapp and Michael Greif. And Anthony was sort of our fearless leader and we started learning Seasons of Love note by note. And then as we got more familiar with it, we started really just sort of reveling in the beauty of that song and, and it felt like something special was there. You know, I didn't know exactly what that was. It just felt like I was part of something. It might just be this little show in a 200 seat theater, who knew, but it just felt good to be there. And it felt good to get to know Jonathan Larson, yeah, who I didn't know before. And to watch his face, you know, the realization that his work that he'd been writing for so many years was coming to fruition and seeing it happen, seeing that he could quit his day job, you know, he got this grant to do his thing and um, and seeing his uh, trust in all of us. And for me personally, he's got to know me better after I was cast and started to really know my voice and my inflections and to be able to create Maureen with Michael and Jonathan was one of those great experiences and milestones in my life, you know? So there's just, that whole thing gets really complicated and deep. But that's also the tapestry of your career. So let me ask you this, what part of Maureen do you still carry with you? I think the idea that that I could be funny. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that because people know me for more serious roles, but I'm actually reacquainted with Maureen a lot when I do my own concerts and I'm on stage and not doing over the moon necessarily. Well, I have, <laughs> I have yeah. brought it back a little bit, but yeah, my humor, my power of my voice. And she was quite self-absorbed, but she evolved. She became a better human being. But mostly her love and her and her humor. I love that you said the word evolution because that is what life is. I always live in this space of it's never a loss. It's always a lesson. And you can either choose to live in the past because it's already happened or you can move and you can grow. And to me, life is about just evolving and moving forward because if we just sit, we're staying. So you go from rent, you go to a little show called Wicked in 2003. A lot of years in between there. A lot of years, a lot of change, a lot of growth. There's that wild party in there. There's a bunch of workshops that never, shows that you've never heard of. There's me getting dropped from my record deal that I had wanted so badly. There's a lot of rejection and failure and having to build momentum back for myself and my career. Because if you don't grab it, you don't grab the lightning, it kind of goes away. So seven years later. But here's the word that you said that really resonated with me. You said the word rejection. And when you think about Alphaba, who I related to the most, as an identical twin, to be the one that's not chosen in my concept, mm -hmm. I could relate to Alphaba. Like I related to it. I don't fit in. I'm an outcast. I'm an identical twin. Everybody wants Gregory. I'm gay. I don't know where my place is. So through those seven years, that history then gives you these beautiful life lessons Mm -hmm. to play a character so powerful and pain, pained, mm -hmm. and then you find your voice. What yes. was that experience like? That experience was, was complicated as well. I felt a lot of pressure with that one too. Working with Joe Mantello was incredible. He asked a lot of me. I wanted to do right by him. I don't know. So every year we had a new workshop every six months. We we're always developing it, you know, and 
with Stephen Schwartz and everyone. And I just never knew I was going to get fired from one incarnation of the script to the next. And like walking on eggshells. Well, I was messy. I was messier. Kristen is so, she's just, she's got this wonderful process and she really is on it and she really believes in her choices. And it was wonderful to watch and very inspiring. And for some reason, because we were developing and ripping pages out all the time and they were rewriting and I always have this vision of me on the floor with my loose leaf of a script. And when they'd say, you know, you, you know how they, they say, take out pages 13 to 14 yeah, and add yeah. 14A and then 16 and act two, you take a book. And I just, Putting it in, then I wasn't a good cold reader. That's what my thing was. And I learned that a lot of people, especially writers, want to hear when they give you new pages, they want to feel like it's good. Yeah, they're in you it. Know, yeah, yeah, that yeah. a joke yeah. lands. And I wasn't a good cold reader. So, you know, I couldn't sell it for them. And so that pressure, it's something I worked on after that. Or actually, like after we opened, I started working with some people and I now I'm actually a pretty good cold reader. So that helped me a lot. But it was very art imitating life. It was someone that knew like myself, I was very powerful, I had a very big voice, but I was also really afraid of what my greatness would do. Would it alienate me from people? Would I feel alone? My sister always says it's so you want to be seen your whole life. And then when people finally are, have put the spotlight on you or the magnifying glass, it's terrifying, you know? And also that show Elphaba is always blocked sort of by herself. And so even in rehearsal, as close as I was to my cast, so much of the time in rehearsal was spent with them, like hating me or all being in one side of wow. the <laughs> choreography on one side and me on the other. And so I always tell this story, which is not really, it's kind of, contradictory to the kind of advice I give when people ask me for young performers, I always say, you know, emulate, don't imitate and, and know that thing that makes you different is the thing that you'll be discovered for. And just, you have to be patient and wait and don't, don't try to be like anybody else. Don't try to be like me. We already have me, you know, but exception to the rule. One day I was feeling so insecure and I was ready to make my entrance as Elphaba with my little luggage, my little suitcase. Yeah. I said, Jesus, would you get out of your fucking head already? Like, this is so tiring, Adina. Tonight, you're going to be Glenn Close playing Elphaba. How would Glenn <laughs> Close do it? She would hold for applause. She would yeah. just eat up the audience when they laughed at your jokes. She would hold notes as long as she wanted to. She would stand with her posture this way. She would lean into the ugliness and lean into the beauty. And like, I had the best show I ever had trying to be like someone else. So once in a while, I think that that's a good exercise just because we have to get out of our head, you know, and it's like Glenn Close deserves all these things. Why does, why don't I deserve these things? You know, and I just, I, something about that show. And then I, I never was the same again. I was so much better. You had the wherewithal to do that. Again, part of the evolution and the growth. So let me ask you this. I have two questions about Wicked. What part of Alphaba do you carry with you? I carry the anger. I carry her anger and her fury that I had as a young girl, but I carry her ability to harness it now and to use it. Wow. For good. I love that. Oh, <laughs> ding. <laughs> Next question about Wicked. You and Kristen came together and you guys sang for good a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And it is so powerful and beautiful and poignant. But there's so much going on in that with the characters, with you two as people coming together. What was that experience like having not done the show for so long 
to come together and do that duet. Are you talking about at the Tonys? No, I'm first of all, that was great. I'm talking about the video. You guys did it about seven years ago. Yeah. About yeah, seven yeah. years ago, you and Kristen came together. Yes. And reunited. That's the first time we did it after a long, long time. Yes, you're right. I've watched it many times. I've watched her and I see this evolution in her. And then I watch you and I see the evolution of you. And then I see the two of you. There seemed to be so much history in those moments, so much healing and so much love. What was that experience like? It was beautiful, honestly. I mean, we have a such a respect for one another and a deep love for one another, an acknowledgement of what we've built together and what we created together. Mm. And I think the more we get together later in these years, even prouder we become and the closer we become because we see something taking on all these iterations and going now from you know, it's new generation to a new generation and how these songs and the story that we told have affected people and helped them through these times in their lives. And we just, we had that together. We'll always have that together. Yeah. And I think we went from young girls to women, you know, and we'll be sisters in that way for the rest of our lives. And the song for good has one being accountable for choice. And that to me, you know, when I, when I go through my moments, I will put that song on because A, it reminds me that I'm a, I'm a work in progress. I also get to apologize for mistakes that I've made. I also get to apologize for mm-hmm. the way my actions have made somebody else feel. So let me ask you, they say in life, we have a season, a reason, a lifetime. Who is your season? Who's your reason? And who's your lifetime? Can I go backwards? Sure. My lifetime would be my, my husband, Aaron. He's my lifetime. He's my partner for a lifetime. He's who I want to grow old with. Mm. My son, Walker, is my reason, my reason for everything. He's what makes me want to be a better human being. And the season, what is the season? I feel like this, you know, we have a choice in life. People come into my life. I learn the lesson. They come and they grow. You're like the wind. You listen, you get wrapped up in it, and then they blow out. And in my life, I've had some seasons that were so monumental and painful and exciting and emotional, and then it's gone. And sometimes the season becomes the reason, and then the lifetime is totally different. Well, then I would say the season was my divorce. Wow. Okay. Yeah, because that happened when I was doing If Then, actually. And I I didn't think it was going to happen right then, the separation. So I was just so raw. And having to lead a show and get up on stage every night and, and then sing about making choices, <laughs> taking yeah, the right yeah. road and about regret. And I had to be strong for my son, you know? So that was everything. It was about that season. It made me love and cherish that I'm in the theater and that I have a cast of community of friends and other actors that I could rely on and lean on and play with. And that I wasn't afraid for them to see me vulnerable. There's a very special group of people in that cast. And it just showed my, my strength, you know? I'm loving this. Look, I, I, go don't... To my now? I have to get to my strength. Sorry, everybody. Bye. Here's what I love. You know, I didn't have an expectation, but I had a thought of what this would have been. And it's mm-hmm. nothing like I thought. Oh, no. What do you think it would be? I don't know you. You're a Broadway star. Your work and your voice have moved me deep to my core. So I was expecting, anticipating a level of 
I'm not going to say Broadway performance because that's not what this is, but something totally different. And I'm loving, this is what life is. This is what <laughs> intimacy is. You know, so many people say you should do the podcast in person. And I'm like, I don't want to be in person. I want to look at Adina in the eyes, see it, feel it, be in it. So this is magic to me because you're being so honest and vulnerable and you're being real and you're sort of telling my story, the anxiety, the this, the that. You choose your words very clearly. You think mm. before you speak. Sometimes. <laughs> Once you speak it, you can't take it back. I don't know. Now you get an into Stu Menzel side of me. It's a truck driver's mouth and a <laughs> put your foot in your mouth. But I digress. Thank you for saying that. I think that that's unfortunately the gift and the curse. And I've grown to just accept it in myself because I think the only way you can really be good at what you do as, as performers and artists is if you allow yourself to be vulnerable and for better or worse and warts and all. And it's the thing that really, you know, connects you to your audience. And so if you want to be impactful, you have to be willing to shed those layers and, you know, take risks. You allow what you're doing now and what you do when I watch your work because you are a Google dream. If you can't see you in person, there's something about that instant immediate connection is you've allowed yourself to be seen. My ex-boyfriend would look at me, but he never saw me. And there's something yeah. fundamentally different in that. And I love the fact that you're allowing this space of grace for me to really see you and tap into why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, I don't want to brag, but- Yes, please brag. Come on. I was actor of the year. Glenda High School. You're mm -hmm. welcome. And then I was actor of the year at Glendale College. I don't <laughs> yeah. need to be jealous, but that was me. I'm a little jealous. Thank you. Little LZ from Glendale, California. But now let's digress and let's celebrate. This is fantastic. An American Music Award, a Billboard Music Award, a Tony Award, as well as nominated for a Daytime Emmy Award, three Drama League Awards, and four Drama Desk Awards. And then 2019, awesome. You got your star on the Walk of Fame. And in 2022, you were named a Disney legend. Can you sit back, look at that, and allow what that is? Nah. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I do. I'm like, yeah, I pat myself on the back. Pretty good there, babe. And then I start to sing in the car with my son, and he says, Mom, could you please be quiet? <laughs> So it's just, uh, you know, I'm shook right back into reality. That's hilarious. What really That's matters, hilarious. you know, or like there's this great video I have of him in my dressing room. This is as if then. So he was around four years old and he put on my heels and he's walking. He's like, I have to go to stage. My name is Adina Menzel. Like mocking me, you know? So whenever I'm feeling myself, I have enough people in my life that really, um, humble me. But yes, I take it in sometimes. And then there's not much else I really want to do, do other than I have been saying I would love people to listen to this kind of music if it's other than Broadway with fresh ears and try not to put me or other people like me in a box. Yeah. And I just want to keep working with incredible directors and other actors that will make me better. But other than that, I'm content in that way. I have this dream to have like a little farm one day with two horses and some pigs and goats. and But right now my son plays basketball so much that he will never visit because we have to do tournaments on the weekends. So 
champagne problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I should give my son credit because he does that. I made fun of him for doing that. But then there are other times where he literally, was, if he sees me being insecure, he'll go, mom, do you know you have more streams for your song than Taylor Swift has? You're a superstar. And I'll be like, thanks, honey. Okay. That's sweet. So yeah. Yeah. I just want to do a few fun facts. Yeah. And then we're going in. Okay, fun fact. I think we're both cut from the same cloth. Number one, is it true that breakfast is your favorite food? Yeah. Breakfast all day kind of thing. Yeah. I can't stand hotels that just shut it down. At 11 o'clock, like, go away, please, you mean, nasty people. Really? You can't make me a bagel and some scrambled eggs? How hard is it? And a smear. I mean, number one. Number two, is it true you make the best pancakes? I do, because I'm not a good cook with much else, but pancakes, I pretty much, I got that down. So yeah, I'm good pancakes. And your favorite ingredient, the one ingredient that you always add to your pancakes that make them so special? <laughs> crazy. I'm just, I'm a good flipper. I'm a good flipper, and I, nice. I sort of, yeah. It depends on what mix I'm using, yeah. And because we are the same person, if yeah. I go to the movies and mm-hmm. I get my popcorn, I cannot yeah. have a popcorn unless I have a Diet Coke. I've said that publicly before. Yeah. Look, sweetheart, if you have nothing to do later today, Google me because I'm fun. I Googled you and <laughs> I, I, love, I love finding fun facts. I love finding Did out- I say that I like to pour my peanut M&Ms into the popcorn? And then it's dark and then you don't know with each. Okay, you shut up right now because we literally are twins. Yeah. Okay, red vines or Twizzlers? I think I'm into red vines lately. Yeah, I love a good red vine. They're sweeter. And you can make them like a straw easier, you know, how yeah. you can like chew the ends. It's great for the environment. <laughs> yeah, it's so horrible, sir. Yeah, you can eat the end, but I also put it in my Diet Coke and I put the licorice in there and I sort of... I sort of yeah. <laughs> I sort of suck But that's not it. bad for the environment. It's just bad for your stomach. <laughs> And it's bad for your teeth. Yes. Now, here's the final fun fact. Is it true that your dream duet would be with Bono? Yeah. I've been saying it so long that it's starting to sound, it's it's annoying that I keep repeating, but it is the truth and it hasn't changed. And the closest I got to him was at the Oscars. Yeah, we were both at the Oscars and I got to say hi to him, but I should have just said, could you please sing with me? Well, here's the thing. When you have that moment in life, you have to go for what you want. So since I don't have Bono in the other room. It's you. Is it going to be you? And you have me. So <laughs> I do this with everyone. And okay. it's the song that I feel comfortable with. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to indulge me. Okay. And do a little bit of Suddenly Seymour. Okay. You're going to have to lead me through it. I'm not one that ever really learned Suddenly Seymour. Okay. So I'm going to start. And if not, we have a few other songs that we could go to. But Okay. Okay. <clears throat> okay first of all, the fact that I'm doing a duet with Adina Menzel, you don't understand <laughs> Life is seizing moments, and this is such a great moment for me. I'm I'm so so happy right now. Okay. Okay, ready? Yes. I'm going to do my best Glenn Close. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Lift up your head. Wash off your mascara. Here, take my Kleenex. Wipe that lipstick away. Show me your face. As clear as the morning. I know things are bad. But now they're okay. Suddenly, LZ, standing beside you. You don't need no makeup. Don't have to pretend. Suddenly, LZ is here to provide you with sweet understanding. LZ's your friend. That was beautiful. Was I on key? Yeah. Can I get the lyrics? 
Na, 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 na. Hold on. Where am I? Suddenly see more lyrics, please. Oh, that's so funny. I should have given you the setup. I'll do the last chord. Elsie's your friend. Nobody ever treated me kindly. Daddy left early. Mama was poor. I'd meet a man and I'd follow him blindly. He'd snap his fingers. Me, I'd say sure. <laughs> it was high for me. Suddenly see more standing beside me. It's high. He don't give me orders. He couldn't kind of said. Suddenly Seymour is here to provide me. So we'd understand that is my friend. So good. Now here's what's so funny about it. Not a duet at all. I did the beginning. <laughs> you did this part. As we're doing that, I'm like, I sort of botched my moment. Okay, so I'm not going to let it end that way. Let's just make this easy for both of us. Okay. Let's just do the end of For Good Together. Oh my God, yeah. Who can say I've been changed for the better? I do believe I've been changed for the better. Because cut I'm that a, out? That was just, I just did that. Don't cut that out. No, oh, they go in together. Who can say I've been changed for the better? And because I knew you, you want to do that? Yeah, count me in. I love that I'm counting Adina Menzoa. Okay, ready? <laughs> Three, two, who, who can, can say? say? And I've, I've been changed, changed for the better. Because I knew you, I have been changed for the Yay! It's hard to do on Zoom. Okay, have you seen that I've been smiling from ear to ear? Adina, you don't <laughs> understand. You don't understand. You don't understand what this and you has meant to me. Seriously. The fact that you've indulged me, the fact that you've been so honest, the fact that you've been so raw, the fact that you were telling my story because I can relate to it. I can relate to all of it. You you took me down a road that feels very familiar and what you're doing in your life is you keep moving forward and you can have all those feelings, but you're moving forward. And I love the fact that you're stepping out of your box and inviting all of us to be a part of Drama Queen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been an incredible hour of my life. Now, here's the last question. Okay. I need you to answer this question for me, because the podcast is called You Are Beautiful, Lauren Jarian. Okay. Answer this question for me. I, Adina Menzel, am beautiful because... (sighs) (laughs) I, Adina Menzel, am beautiful because I am kind. That wasn't what you were expecting. (laughs) That's probably my favorite part of this podcast is to hear what people's (laughs) honest, authentic thoughts are. And from my experience with you, you've been kind, you've shown me grace, and you shared your heart. And to me, literally a very, very special moment. And I can't wait till our paths cross and I get to give you a hug in person. Yes, a hug and a kiss. Your work, your passion, who you are. And I'll work on suddenly Seymour so we can do it in person. You were a little pitchy at some of the, yeah, you were a I little know. pitchy and so that sorry. one note was off. Yeah. I now that was a beautiful ride. And speaking of beautiful, I want to thank Dr. Stacy J. Stevenson for going on this ride with us. When it comes to feeling good, it all starts from the inside out, and it's time for everyone to get their glow on. Now, go out and have a beautiful day. Ready, set, glow. 